Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Good Folk Podcast. This is your host, Spencer George. I'm the founder and writer here at Good Folk. I'm also joined by our producer, Victoria Landers, who has known today's guest, Axel, for quite some time. Axel graduated with his bachelor's in English and secondary education from UNC Greensboro in 2021 and is currently at UNCG earning his master's in English and women's and gender studies. He currently works in rural North Carolina and has worked with all high school grades and academic levels in the past two years. He is an advisor of the LGBTQ club on his high school campus and advocates for the creation of diversity and inclusion within a community that may not be so accepting of such ideas. Much of Axel's current work involves teaching the relearning of emotional well-being for teens, both through literature and through general discussion. His classroom is full to the brim of colorful posters that advocate for women in STEM, feeling your feelings and the fine arts, promoting careers and hobbies many rural students might not have known of beforehand. Axel recognizes the positives and negatives that come with being LGBTQ in a rural and conservative setting and aims to get more teens to simply consider other opinions. He also has a cat. This is a conversation about what it means to be an educator, not just a person teaching information to a group of students, but someone who really shows up for them as well. True educators take the time to understand their students' needs, as well as their students' unique backgrounds. It is not an easy job, and it is a job that is incredibly contested in today's public sphere. There are people on both sides of the so-called education crisis, but one thing is clear. We are in a moment of crisis, and where we choose to go from here will affect all of us. But there are educators who provide the hope that is so necessary right now. So let this conversation leave you with some of that hope for the future. Because thanks to the educators showing up in the most difficult of moments, the kids are going to be all right. Not to mess up your question, but it might actually help if you introduce oh, a little bit so of your true. background. Since okay. you two have like, known each other for so long. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. so <laughs> out of it. Um, so... Hi, Axel. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, for those of you who don't know, I have known Axel, oh my gosh, 2017? Is that when we met? Yeah. Wow. We met on Halloween of 2017, his freshman year, my sophomore year of college, in a mutual friend's dorm room. He came in. He did not speak to me the entire time. He just got dressed in his Halloween costume, said, hey, and then left. And I was like, I want to be this man's best friend. And now we no. are. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed every time you tell that story. <laughs> um, so we've known each other forever. We've kind of survived college together. We survived being RAs together. Um, we survived our queer identity journey together. <laughs> um, education, we have been through thick and thin, baby. Um, so for those of you who don't know, that's how I know Axel. Axel is a fabulous man. Love him the best. Um, and I'm excited that he's here and he just finished his first week of school. This is your second year teaching. Um, how did that go? Tell us a little about it. Um, I mean, it was rough to say the least. Um, the, I think the, the hardest thing was my school has switched schedules, um, mm. because we don't have enough bus drivers for the district. Um, so we had to push back, um, the high school start time 30 minutes. So now we start at eight forty-five and end at three forty-five, whereas we started at eight twenty-five and ended at three twenty-five. So I guess it's only 20 minutes, but that messed with our entire schedule. And on top of that, my particular school is going through um, construction. So mm. my thankfully, my building was redone. Um, but along with all the construction that happened, our bill system and intercom system does not work. So I've had to keep track of class start and, and end on my phone. So, you know, it gets to be like 10, 10 when first block ends. And then like six alarms go off <laughs> and and then I'm like, Oh, it's time. Uh, get out, you know? <laughs> so that has been the, the hardest part is like readjusting to the schedule. Um, but yeah, it's my second year teaching. So I feel a lot more confident in my abilities to, to do the thing. Um, and my 
other best friend, my co-teacher, moved schools. So I no longer have my like work colleague buddy. Um, And now I, this semester, at the very least, I teach all three blocks by myself, which Mm. going from last year, I had six classes total for both semesters and I taught four of them with my co-teacher. So it was, it's very strange to go from this semester. I'm to, I'm completely, I'm the only one in the room, um, which has been the only adult in the room, which has been really um, jarring to say the least. Yeah, no, it truly makes all the difference because yeah. when me and Spencer were teaching together, I loved having someone else responsible <laughs> who understood what we needed to do and like the pain and suffering of it all, but all like the, you know, positive things. And then when she got switched to a different school and I was in the room by myself, essentially the only person or responsible person in the room, responsible adult like that was, I don't know. The kids like know too. They can sense, they can smell fear essentially. They're like, oh, you're by yourself. Okay. Let's test my limits of like yeah. how far I can get away with things. Yes. Um, so the, the we can smell fear thing is definitely a thing um, that I didn't really fully acknowledged last year um and so i came out the the gates ablazing of i am not afraid of a single thing i am not afraid of you i am not taking any shit this year none of that so um i think that i i definitely started this week off way better than i started both semesters last semester um just in it just you know purely in that in that range of, of, I am not afraid. <laughs> I'm still very new at this, but I am not afraid of you and you should be afraid of me. <laughs> there we go. Set in it early. That's the yeah. way to do it. Cause if you try to change it halfway through, they don't care. <laughs> no, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, no, truly. So yeah. speaking, like you went through a lot of um, trials and tribulations to put it one way last year. Um, uh-huh. Do you want to, well, do you want to speak on to why or? I don't know how you want to transition into that, however you're comfortable with. Um, sure. I mean, the the biggest uh, trial and tribulation both combined is that I am very out and proud as a trans man. Mm-hmm. And last year I was pre-top surgery. Um, and so I did not pass. And I don't know if you would like me to explain but passing in the sense of um, those that were born as the gender that they identify as or cisgender um, can't tell that you are transgender. That's like the most layman terms for me to put it in. Um, so I did not pass. Um, we call we we call it in in the queer community very clockable. <laughs> I was very clockable, and uh, the school that I'm at is rural and very conservative so i deal with a lot of kids who like to hunt on the weekends kids who still refer to their hunting dogs as coon hounds and um you know i'm gonna go out on the farm with my dad this weekend kind of kids and i (laughs) i don't vibe with that particular mindset very well just because i have in the past been in contact with that kind of individual and gotten some form of pushback. Um, so it's my cat just sneezed. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted. Um, so it was, it, it was really hard last year because it was extremely difficult for kids to call me the right pronouns. Um, and because, as I was saying before, I was very afraid to uh, rock the boat. Um, and I was very afraid to assert myself as the adult in the room. And one of the things that I did not advocate for myself was my pronouns. I would kind of just swipe it under the bus a lot of the times or under the rug. And like I said, I came out the gates this semester, especially because over the summer I had top surgery. I came out the gates with my pronouns are he, him. And if you're going to call me anything, you're going to call me sir. And if you're not going to call me either of those things, then the door is over yonder. Speaking in their terms, goodbye. <laughs> um, so I, 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 had to, I had to have a talk with one of my blocks yesterday. 
and I can speak more on that if you want me to and or later. But um, it's been a lot better this semester. Um, I think it's because I established myself as a as a entity in the school. Um, and it's and like I don't I don't know the best way to say it, but <laughs> without making me sound a little bit douchey, but like everybody knows who I am. <laughs> but everybody knows who I am because of my identity, you know? Yeah. So, um, it's like as a teacher, you have to assert yourself in the classroom. But then as a queer teacher, you're either clocked by by other students who are like, ah, uh, you're a little something, like you're not mm -hmm. like me. Um, either that means good or bad. And then you kind of have this star next to your name all the time when you're brought up whether it's a good thing or a bad thing yeah. so then you kind of become this beacon for all like the young queer students who like need that representation and do love that representation but then also you know how far can you be safely out in some of the areas that queer people teach in so it's that fun funky little balance of trying to be safe, but also be established and still be a person and still live. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it. It's a weird dichotomy for sure. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Just saw Gray try to bite you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just swiped at my finger. <laughs> so, do you think that balance is going to be better this year? Or so far, has it been better? Or have, because I know you had like, as you were telling me last year, you had a really sweet group of kids who kind of fell in love with you and stayed in your room and loved talking to you. Have you had any pushback from students or staff about anything that you feel comfortable talking about? Um, it's funny because students more so than staff. Um, I know that you and I have had this conversation before, but it's strange because before I started teaching, it seemed like a lot of the pushback that I was getting is from like middle-aged people. Um, but where I'm at now, my, my staff, <laughs> the staff that I don't work with every day, like constantly don't really give me the time of day and it's a good and a bad thing. Um, like at trainings and whatnot when they like to break up our departments and put us in different places uh, and put us with different people that we don't usually see every day um P my staff and my colleagues definitely get my pronouns wrong um more often than i would like but again i don't see them that often so i usually I do the same thing. I kind of just sweep it under the rug and I'm like, whatever, I'm going to participate with you for about an hour for this training and then we will part ways. Um, but my, my students were much worse because I would see them every day and we would talk to each other every day and I would be disrespected every day by them. Um, so it wasn't more, so, it wasn't the staff. It was more so my students last, especially last year uh, that I would get the pushback from. And, and by pushback, I mean, it was just constant. They would call me Ms. last name instead of Mr. Or they would mm -hmm. call me ma'am instead of sir. And I got really good at the end of the semester of real quick clap, clapbacks of it's sir. Okay, what do you yeah. need? You know what I mean? So, um, I don't know. I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, no, you're fine. I mean, you shouldn't have to sacrifice your self-worth just to i don't know at the end of the day you know like it's that weird dichotomy of like okay how much do i want to keep you know it shouldn't be a thing that's brought up you know it shouldn't be like a thing that's like oh you know oh queer guy or like oh you know miss vic because um like i had all my students would draw like you know the white flags or lesbian or like whatever flags they or little terms and stuff i hung on my desk so when teachers came in that was the first thing they saw and they were like oh i was like i don't want to have to sacrifice this part of myself to make other people feel comfortable when it's this is just who i am right so that's it's always a fun fun little thing <laughs> that has to stay in the back of your mind um because i know spencer and i have talked about it too it was like you know i don't want to explicitly you know have to come out but if i'm asked by a certain student you know i'm not going to say 
yes or no, but I also have to be, you know, make sure I'm keeping myself safe in a way that matters. So it's, I don't know. I'm just curious from your point of end <laughs> of how all of that went. Yeah. Um, I, I really related to the, like the having to hide a part, a piece of you thing that you were talking about, mm -hmm. because for me, it was like kind of the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. I could not hide it last year. Yeah. There was like nothing I can do um, because the way that licensure and whatnot works is your birth name has to be on your teaching license um, and you cannot change it. It cannot be a preferred name. It cannot be a nickname. Um, and if I want to change it, I have to go through a legal state name change. Really? So yeah, all of the kids that came to me on Monday, it, it's actually quite funny because, you know, the kid wearing all camo and, and a Bass Pro Shop shirt is like, is this, um, is this the right room? And I have to be like, yes, the name is not correct. You are indeed in the right spot. <laughs> um, so the, the funny thing is that is, is I am immediately outed by every single, to every single kid that I have. Um, Mm. as who I am like I am immediately added as trans um and so it was not something that I could hide and what I do agree with and is the same way is is I would I don't talk about it unless somebody asks me and even then I'm like it that is personal all you need to know is my pronouns and my name and that's it um and if you want to have an open conversation about about my lived in experiences we can do that at a different time that is not um instruction time um so i i related and then also <laughs> could feel the exact opposite to everything that you just said axel i would love if you would talk a little bit about your journey into teaching and why you choose to stay in this um i know that vic and i've had a lot of conversations of it's so hard wanting to be representation and also knowing that like for your own personal safety, it might just be better sometimes to kind of walk away from things. So what, what is it that keeps you in the classroom and what was the journey to that? Like, no, totally. Um, I mean, it, it feels a little long winded to like say, let's start from the beginning. Um, but the long and short of it is that I've always wanted to teach. It's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Um, when I was little, like in elementary school, I wanted to be a firefighter. And then I learned that there is a height requirement and I am too short. <laughs> uh, so um, that kind of went down the drain. Um, what, what is the height requirement? Do I don't you know? know what it actually is. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I was lied to by my school counselor that there's not actually a, a height limit. Like I said, I'm pretty sure that I was lied to. Um, but uh, t I don't know. Teaching is just the only thing I've ever wanted to do ever since I was in middle school, really. Um, and I just had this immense connection to the teachers that I really liked and the, the subjects that I really liked. Um, and I would get to know them and I would, I don't know, I don't know, know them personally doesn't sound right. But and like they weren't my friends, obviously, but they were people that I trusted that weren't my immediate family. And growing up as a queer kid, that is really important to have trusted adults that are not your immediate family. Um, and so I had many multiple English and social studies and one math teacher, if you can imagine, who I just connected with. and when I connected with them, I would think to myself, I, I want, I want to do this. I want to do something like this. Like I want to, I want to feel the way that they must feel when I come to them and say, you are my favorite person at this, in this building. And you were one of the only people I can trust to tell intimate parts of my life too. Um, and so the question of why you stay is, rough the answer to it is rough um and also kind of sad so sorry it's gonna get a little sad but um a large part of me feels that if i stop because i don't want to use the word quit if i stop then i've only had one full year of teaching under my belt and then it feels like my four-year degree is a waste 
you know, that's kind of how it feels is that I spent all of this money and I went through all of this effort and I was so excited to do it. And then I got there and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be so much to the extent that I don't want to do it anymore. That makes me just so upset that, that the reaction then is I have to see if it's going to get better. If that makes sense. I, I, I have to see like, that was the, that was a talk that I had with myself over the summer when I was debating going back or not, um, was, do I stop now or do I give it a chance? Do I give this particular school, this career, this County, do I give it another shot and see if it's going to get better from here? And, you know, I haven't really, uh, faced the reality of what if it's not because if i do i might cry um and i wouldn't like to not cry about my job uh, cry about my job as little as possible so um that's like the biggest part is that i feel like a lot of my like almost adolescence is like wasted because this was all i wanted to do and now i'm here and i come home and i have to nap after i get home from work because it was so exhausting and and i and microaggressed around every corner. Um, but I mean, I mean, uh, Tori, you mentioned it a little earlier is I, I have this group of, I call them my gabies, you know, they're my little children who come and sit with me when they have free blocks or come and sit with me during study hall or who work extremely hard on the stuff that I give them and everything else. And, who either are or or quite honestly are not in the LGBT community, but feel some sort of connection with me. And so then that goes back to what I just said of like, this is what I wanted to do. (laughs) This is the best part of my job is when I have like four or five kids who email me and say, can I come sit with you for 30 minutes during study hall? And I email immediately back and I say, absolutely. Yes, you can in all capital letters with a smiley face, because even if that 30 minutes was supposed to be my quiet time, I'm so thankful that they're like, this is my space. This room is meant for me. And this person is meant for me. And so when I think about leaving, I think they're going to lose that, you know, they lose that safe space and they lose that safe person. And a very selfless part of me says, I can't do that to them. You know, that was a long tangent. (laughs) No, you're totally fine. With the pandemic, I feel like it's always kind of been like teaching wise, um, especially in North Carolina, we don't have the best conditions for teachers. Um, And I always feel like it was kind of at its almost at its breaking point. But I think the pandemic really kind of pushes over its edge. So it's the if you do leave to anyone and then like when you do leave for some people, you know, I feel like there's such immense guilt with that Um, because when my contract with my nonprofit ended and I was leaving my school. Like I looked for a position within my school where I could still say because it felt wrong to leave because I knew the environment I'd be leaving and that part of that safe space that I tried to create for students would be going with me, you know, and it's like, okay, who do I put first? <laughs> you know, like, do I, like, I still want to have a space for my, cause I, you know, you love those kids. They drive you up a wall. They test every inch of your patience, but you would do anything for them. So it's like, do you stay in these certain teaching conditions that are harmful to like your psyche? Or do you stay for the kids that kind of bring peace to it? So it's a very, I don't know. I feel like now teaching like in North Carolina, um, but I think all over um, the US. I don't know a lot about teaching in other countries, but um, especially since the pandemic is a very, not, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a very contested field. Um, I saw just this morning that North Carolina ranked the worst state in the country to work. And yet I also saw an article that I believe it was The Atlantic came out saying that the education crisis is a myth and that we don't have a teacher shortage, and it's just data being read wrong. And it was very interesting to me because the way they framed that article was saying, well, there is a teacher shortage in Southern and rural communities, but that's always been there. That's not a new teacher shortage. 
but there's no teacher shortage in Boston. So we're reading this data wrong. And and I went to the comments because it, it enraged me as I think you I think you both understand that. Yes. And so the comments were all talking about you can't say that it's if this shortage has been going on for so long in southern and rural communities, as all three of us who've worked in southern and rural communities in the education realm know. You can't just sweep that under the rug and say, well, that's always been there. But that is how, I mean, sadly, that is very often the way that things get approached in Southern and rural communities, especially by mass media, because the media is able to look at it and say, well, in the places that quote unquote matter, there is no teacher shortage. These places don't matter. We're going to brush them under the rug. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts, Axel, on, you mentioned in your bio, kind of the positives and negatives of working in a Southern, like rural school environment. What are some of these positives for you? Um, because, you know, you had such a great answer as to why you stay in education, but why stay in rural education? Because that's a whole different game as well. Um, well, first of all, my immediate response to what you, the, the beginning of, of what you just said, Spencer, what is uh, girl by the amount of teacher shortage myths um, they're at zero, girl. Absolutely not. Uh, my school alone had twenty positions open at the beginning of this school year. I uh, I don't understand how, and this is just me being hated. I don't understand how people can say, "Oh, it's a myth," and that this place matters more than this place. Um, every school needs to be fully staffed. I mean, obviously, because we don't have enough bus drivers, therefore we had to push our time back. You know, and there are. Last year, our librarian taught five classes. Mind you, we have four blocks. She taught five classes as not even a teacher, as a librarian, because we were missing two teachers. You know, and and so like I hear things like that of like, oh, teacher shortage is a myth, and anyone can be a teacher because it's a teacher shortage. You know, like so I just saw something earlier that schools are starting to allow people right out of high school to teach. Like you can graduate from it from a high school with a high school degree and then teach at the high school that you graduated at. And that is bananas to me because it's happening because we're not paid enough, because we're overworked, because we're viewed as glorified, uh, glorified babysitters. Um, I mean, I was just telling somebody the other day that asked me, like, I know what you do as a teacher, but what what else? What do you do? And I was like do you want a list? Because I'm a therapist. I'm a first responder. I'm an educator. I'm a friend. I'm a parent. Sometimes I'm a policeman. Like it's all of these, all of these titles and I'm paid baseline, you know, even with baseline experience. So that was just, I just wanted to get that out of the way because that just like, in, that just enraged me. <laughs> It makes me very mad. When oh, people... it enraged me too. Don't worry. That's why I wanted to bring it up because I knew it would enrage all of us and anybody who's worked in education is going to be enraged by this. And it, it was fascinating to me, this data, they very often like don't include teachers in these conversations, right? Um, so that's why we have to have these conversations because otherwise they're not being had. Yeah, that was what I was going to say is the majority of the time, the people who write the data or collect the data or who write these articles and make these claims are not teachers and have never stepped foot in a classroom with the intent to be a teacher. So, you know, congrats on writing an article, but uh, what claims are you making and how are they affecting the lives of a lot of people? But on a more positive note, the... The positive things, I mean, I feel like everything that I'm going to say is going to be very cliche and like throw up kind of stuff. So, you know, um, prepare to have your heart bursting for a moment. One of the the coolest things, and if you've never seen it, you've only ever been on the other end of it, then you may not understand. But to see the light bulb go off and like to, to know that you are, are the person that made a kid get something is one of the most rewarding and coolest experiences ever. You know, because so, I feel like so much of our lives, especially like the three of us as, as younger individuals, we've been on the other end, like uh, we've been on the other end in the sense of we're the ones who had the light bulb go off of you know, sitting in chemistry class and figuring out how a neuron works. You're like, oh, that's how it works. Um, 
And, you know, you remember teachers being like, thank God you got it. Or like, I'm so proud of you. That's so awesome. But it, it, I, I, it's so hard to explain. Like, I, I'm stumbling and I'm stirring because it's so hard to explain how rewarding it is. Because, like, I put so much effort into making sure that every single kid can understand every single thing that we do. So watching the light bulb go off and watching them say to themselves, oh, I, I understand why the color red was the color of the blinds. It was to symbolize and foreshadow murder. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Scream at the top of my lungs. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. You did it. You know, um, that's like the biggest thing is I, I don't know. So much of what I do is like I said, be a therapist. And so much of what I do is emotional well-being. Um, but when I actually get to do the instruction part and like the, the literal learning, it's, it's so rewarding to watch it actually make sense or like for a discussion to go exactly where you plan it to go. It just feels so good when a lesson plan goes exactly the way you want it to go. Girl, nothing feels better. I swear. Nothing feels better. It's so, it's just so rewarding, you know? I mean, so that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm not sure if you want me to say others, um, that's the biggest thing I would say. The The light bulb moment is so nice. <laughs> and then knowing who you are as a person, you, um, and I love you for this, but you're very much like an overteacher. You're either like in it 0% or 100%. So knowing you and how you handle <laughs> your lessons and knowing you as a person of how you want your kids to walk away with something. Um, and I, does your school have like a curriculum do you have to follow or do you have free reign? And if you um, do have a curriculum, how do you add um, something interesting besides the basics and how to teach for a test? Because I know who you are and I, <laughs> I know that you try to probably have a lesson within a lesson. That's something that I can walk away from. So do you do that? If so, what's it like? All that fun stuff. Word. So um, I'm really lucky in that um, I suppose it's my entire county, but my principal does not give a hoot about what I teach as long as I hit the standards. Um, and so there are, of course, you know, so like I have freshmen and seniors. There are, of course, uh, like the core texts that I should go through. Um, but it's not like if I veer off the beaten path, I'm going to get yelled at or docked or like the kids are not going to learn. Um, and I'm also very lucky this year in that I do not have English too. I don't have sophomores, which is the only uh, EOC of the only state mandated exam. So freshmen, juniors and seniors are given teacher made exams. So they're based off of what we do that year, as opposed to the beautifully horrific guesswork that is guessing what's on the EOC. Um, so I have never taught freshman or senior before. Freshman does not even have like a specificity. So for example, um, seniors is American literature. No, just kidding, British literature. Um, because my juniors were American, that's what I was thinking of. Um, but freshman is nothing. Freshman is literally just get them prepared for two, you know, and make sure that they understand what a metaphor is. That's really all that I have to do is make sure that they are prepared for the next thing. Um, whereas my seniors, I kind of have to do more textual stuff with them. But again, it's not like I have to do the Canterbury Tales. It's not like I have to do a Shakespeare unit. So um, to answer the other question of how do I make things interesting, <laughs> I, I sigh because I do it to myself. Um, I create everything by hand. I love Teachers Pay Teachers and I take influence from it, but I take nothing from nobody essentially. And everything that we do in my room comes from my brain which sounds like a humble brag, but it's true. I, I write everything from hand because I know what these kids would like to be doing and I know what they're interested in because I'm so close to their age and because that was a lot of what my college experience drilled into me is find out what they want to do and then do that. Um, that I, I just make it as as interesting and as engaging and as modernized as possible. 
Um, so, for example, my seniors are going to do 1984 by George Orwell starting on Tuesday. Um, and first of all, um, like four of them have read a novel in the last two years. So um, next week is going to be the start of them reading a novel for the first time in a really long time. And I'm so stoked for that <laughs> uh, slash as for sarcasm. But <laughs> um, yes, we're going to read the book, but I don't plan to do any worksheet assignments for it for the majority of the book, at least. It's all going to be discussion and debate based unless they piss me off. And then we'll do like reading quizzes and graded, uh, graded worksheets and um, like reading guides and whatnot. Um, but I know that the majority of them would rather us just talk about it um, and would rather us go page by page breaking down what happened. Um, and also that way I can make sure that they don't spark notes. But um, for the kids that are anxious about talking in class, um, I have kept my Google chat option open on Google and they will be reading the book on their laptops, which is a whole other thing that sucks. I wish we didn't do it, but they are going to be required to say one thing every class. Every kid is going to be required to say one thing every class. And if they're nervous about speaking in front of the entire group, they can just Google chat it to me and then I can count it as they did it, you know? Um, so that's like different than how um, another senior teacher is going to do 1984, where they're going to have a vocab sheet every day that they have to fill out. And they're going to have, uh, they're going to have unit tests or not unit tests, chapter tests at the end of every chapter, you know? Um, and first of all, I would hate doing that as a kid, but also I would hate grading all of that. So absolutely not. Um but just like in a more broad sense, I, I barely do any tests because I would rather them show me what they know. Um, I would rather do, um, I would rather have them do like a writing activity or like a, like a poster where they have to draw or like a diorama where they have to use their hands and make things. Um, for every end of the unit thing, I provide the option to make like an Instagram reel or like a TikTok or, um, or a skit. And those are just all summative assessments you know they are assessments they do show me what they're what they've what they've learned um but just in not a paper pencil with sit in silence for 30 minutes and do a test kind of way um and i was really lucky with the groups that i had last year that it, they responded really well to that so i'm gonna have to see if that's the same um vibe that i'm gonna get from the from these kids is i will always provide the option if you would like me to make you a test i will make you a test but if you would rather write four or five paragraphs on a prompt, that's not in an essay sense, but it's just write for four or five paragraphs, then I would much rather do that. Then it gives them more of a voice, you know? I think that's so important of just learning what they want. Because if they, yeah. you know, if you're going to go into it guns blazing with paperwork, you're ready like day one you're gonna have kids check out knowing as the kid what because i have dyslexia um so hated english sorry guys this is the two english majors <laughs> couldn't stand it loved to read but anytime i had to be in a class no i checked out day one when they started throwing like more reading materials at me i was like that's none of those like half of the books most of the books there was only one unit um that i remember that i took step away from and it was the horror unit and we read like Dracula, Frankenstein, and my favorite book of all time, The Picture of Dorian Gray. Um, and that's, those are the only three books I remember from any of my education. Um, I was like, cause nothing else stuck with me because it was just all, it wasn't, it was catered to a test or it was catered to um, what my middle-aged teachers were taught, you know, years ago. So I think it, it, that's something that I wanted to do when I taught um was, was like i want them to leave this classroom with something even if you know they intentionally learned it and i think catering to their interest because i was talking to a teacher when i was still teaching and we butt heads sometimes and she didn't understand why i would take the time to create a lesson around their interests she goes you know 
you're here to teach. Like this is, you know, why do you do all this extra time when you're not getting paid to do the extra time when half the time they're talking over you when they don't care about the class? And I was like, well, they don't care about the class. Like the reason why I'm changing the way I'm teaching because they're not listening. Because So I'm doing something wrong. So I take the the feedback of them talking over me or them losing interest. It's like, okay, this isn't clicking. This isn't what they need. This isn't grabbing their attention. So therefore, you know, this isn't giving what it needs to give. So changing, like taking that time, it sucks. But like you said earlier, it's rewarding when that light bulb clicks, when you find the groove of those certain classrooms and those certain students where they start receiving that information and you're like, oh, I get it. And you're like, and it's, I don't know, kind of feed your soul. You're like, okay, cool. That's like a gold star next to my name. Like I figured it out. I did something right. I don't know. It made me feel better that taking that extra time or just, I don't know, learning about my students. Like that's not a bad thing. I, I have multiple things that I wanted to respond to. Of course, the first thing left, left my brain, but um, something that I, I remembered um, when you mentioned horror was I had a student that I could not reach point blank period he was a junior. He was not interested in anything that we did up until this point in the semester. And I asked him to um, list every single thing that he was interested in. Um, let me preface this by saying this kid is fine. He is sane and safe and, and he is okay, promise. But one of the things that he was really interested in was true crime and serial killers. And so I said, uh, <laughs> I'm stealing that bingo bango. And I created a mini unit on serial killers and we did like nine days where i had them pick and research and write a research-based essay and a poster based on a serial killer that they were interested in um and that was the first time i ever heard this boy literally speak and be really interested in something that we were doing and the second thing that i wanted to say that goes along with it is I would say to the teacher that told you, like, why are you taking all this extra time like you're here to teach? My response to that would be, girl, I am. And I don't know what you're thinking that I'm doing because nobody's giving me a lesson plan. You know? Yeah, I can rip it off of teachers pay teachers. Yeah, I can rip a PowerPoint off of Google if I Google what it is that I'm doing. But if I don't write for me personally, if I don't write everything that I'm doing and it comes from my head, like from scratch – I'm, I'm, I'm floating dead in the water. Like I, I'm not given anything, you know what I mean? Especially in a school where I, my curriculum is only teach the standards, you know, it's not, you know, teach much ado about nothing. And here's every single thing that you need to make sure that you do. So my response is just, where are you getting your lesson plans from? <laughs> Cause I, where is your, what's your hookup? Because I want the number because I, I don't know where you're getting this idea that sometimes you have to create everything from scratch like you i don't know what you're thinking that that's not a thing but i i can i i created that nine day mini unit in the span of like a friday night until 4 a.m and executed it and it was great because it got kids actually talking and they were like i listened to true crime podcasts on the way home from school. So like, this was a really cool way to incorporate what I do at home to what I do at school. And it didn't feel like work. Yes. Oh, to me, I don't know why, but that just, that makes me so happy where they take yeah. things. Cause I, you know, at the school that I taught, I had kids ask how old they could be when they dropped out. So it's like, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to finish high school. I want to go to college. It's not worth it. You know, I don't like school. Nothing here is for me. You know, they would get really self-deprecating about it. It was like, oh, and I'm never leaving, you know, my small town. I'm just going to work for my dad's company. Like, this is just it for me. So then, you know, I tried to show them in my small <laughs> underfunded classroom <laughs> that there's this whole world out there waiting for you. And it's yours if you want it. Like, I can't convince you that to go like I can't make you go and explore I can't make you continue your education but hopefully I can give you something to take home with you that makes you think and then makes you question okay what if I try one more year or what if you know I really like this lesson like and that starts a whole new passion and who knows where it leads um so I love I don't know that just made me really happy we're like oh I love that you know this incorporated things that I do at home because I think that's so important because um, just for specifically for the kids that I teach, I knew if they didn't connect to 
most of my lessons that, you know, like, why are they there? Essentially, like, they're not going to take anything away from it. And to them, it would just seem like 45 minutes of just hanging out and coloring. Um, and that's not something I wanted. I wanted my class to be fun and I wanted it to be rememberable and something that they can take home with them. So I love that you do that. That just, oh, I love you. <laughs> You're so cool. <laughs> Shut up. I love you too. <laughs> what would you say to, I feel like there's this new kind of movement of parents on the internet largely emerging that believe that a teacher's role is just to teach the content and not connect with the kids. Um, very like kind of harkens back to the old days of teaching. You know, you come, you sit in the classroom, you learn, and then you leave. To me, so much of education is about that connection that you have with the students. And I think all of us exemplify that. But what would you say to those parents, um, or not even parents, like lawmakers, politicians, school board representatives that believe that education should just be you teach the content and the kids leave? My response <laughs> as someone who does not want to get fired is I hear you. I understand your concerns. You write the lessons. Give them to me. I'll teach them. We go home. You know, but I, I feel like there's no other way to say it because they, they being every, every party that you just said, want teaching to be in such a particular box and it as a profession doesn't fit in a box because every class, you, you know, every county, every district, every school and every room is different, you know, and to say you just have to teach, I have to know who I'm teaching. You know, I have to know which kids have ADHD so that I move around the room so that they have something to focus their eyes on. I have to know which kid has depression so that when they're putting their head down, I know it's because they're tired and it's not because something's going on at home. You know, I have to know which kids play sports so that I can give them the homework in the beginning of the day so that they can do it throughout the day and not have to go home and work on their homework at eight o'clock at night when they get home from sports. You know, I, I just... It's like I said earlier, it, they, they again, being the people that you mentioned, want it to be this box. And it doesn't, it will never, ever, ever fit in the box unless we live in like a dystopian society where I am given a script to read off. And that's what I do for eight hours a day. There's no way for me to quote unquote, just teach. It doesn't happen because for a lot of these kids and especially in rural areas like mine and like ours they see me more than they might see their parents you know they might get their meals from school so i can't just teach because if i don't provide a meal for example they can't focus because they're hungry so again i i preface this by saying as someone who doesn't want to get fired but I just, it, it makes me very angry as the person who exists in the room for eight hours to hear just teach the content because I can't just teach the content. It doesn't work like that. It just doesn't because I got 32 different individuals who have 32 different needs, who have 32 different home lives that they bring with them. I'm expected to leave my home life at the door. They're not. You know, they don't get that luxury. Their, they, their frontal lobes are not compatible with that thought. You know, they can't, they just, they can't do it. Their boyfriend broke up with them this morning. Therefore, they're going to cry for the rest of the block. And I'm just going to have to bring some tissues. You know, I can't just teach when things like that are, are happening. Um, and so, like I said, the, the, the biggest thing I say is either pay me more or write me the lesson plans because the other option is stay out of it. <laughs> stay out of it because there's only so much that I can do. And like you said at the beginning, like you're not just a teacher, you're a first responder, you're a therapist, you're, you know, an authority figure, you're a parental figure, um, you're a guidance counselor. Like you have so many titles that are just packed on to one person. In a span of eight hours, you do all of those things most likely every day. I know I did. 
you know, I think every teacher does. And I think the people that write these articles or pass these laws or um, make these Facebook posts, like have, I would love to leave them alone. Like with my, like Spencer knows this eighth grade art class, I would love them to leave them alone for 45 minutes and just say, good luck off with you. It's so easy. You teach, you teach it. Here's some crayons, have fun. You know, I won't tell him about the one kid that likes to eat the wax paper. Like, no, he gets to figure that out on his own. Like it's, it's upsetting because most of these people last time they were in a classroom was in high school or was in college where they were not in the teacher. Mm -hmm. They were the student. Like they have never actually made a lesson or put any thought behind the education. They get to see it from a pristine little glass box that they think it is, or they tore it once a year. Um, and that's it. It's no, it's, it's infuriating. And I don't know this going, I don't know. It's, mm, ah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything you just said. So then how do you deal with it all? How do you not bring that home with you? Or like, are you still learning about that? Like, how do you find, because it's hard not to bring work home, you know, mentally and emotionally, um, and sometimes physically, like how do you create that division of coming home to like your safe space and be like, okay, I am no longer Mr. Teacher. I am just Axel. How do you do that? How do you go about it? Uh, well, uh, two things. First of all, I'm in very intense therapy. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> Um, but you know, that's for a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, so I, I, I have the luxury of, of talking to a therapist every week and, you know, most of the time we all talk about my job, but a lot of it, a lot of the emotional stuff follows me and I, I shall elaborate, but the, 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 the other point that I want to make is I also do not take anything home with me, literally. Um, my laptop stays at my desk. I cover it, granted, with with a with a pizza with a towel, so that nobody steals it. But um, I don't take my laptop home. I don't take any work to grade home. I don't do any lesson planning at home, except on Sundays if I have to prepare for the week and I didn't do enough uh, leading up to it. Um, but I trained myself from day one of my first year of teaching. I will not take a single thing home with me because I know if I start that, it will never stop. And I will spiral. I mean, you said it yourself. I am an overachiever and I will spiral and it will come home with me and my apartment will be full of work, will be full of grading and red pens. And I can't do that to myself because while I am a teacher, I and while I wear many hats and that as a teacher, I also have other hats that are not work related. You know, I am also a human and I am also a grad student and I am also a partner and a friend and a child and a cat dad. And there are many things that bringing work home with me and work in every sense of the word would would hinder you know i would not be able to do a lot of things that i do if i take work home with me um and so of course i'm a hypocrite because i literally have work with me in my backpack but i can i can almost put money on it i would bet my left toe big toe particularly that i will not open my work backpack this weekend I will not because I know myself and if I start, I will not stop. And is it, is it very hard? Yes. So I will, I will follow that with, it's really difficult to do that. And I know it. And sometimes I shoot myself in the foot with it, but I do all of my grading and all of my planning at work, which means that my 90 minute planning period is packed from minute one to minute 90 and if I have an IEP meeting, if I have any sort of trainings, if I have any distraction at all, something's not going to get done. And, you know, I like to wipe my hands of that and I say, well, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, because, like I said, if I take it home with me, it, it will never stop. Um, the emotional stuff is what I take home with me. Like, if I yell at a kid, I will think about it for the rest of the day. If I have to call home, I will 
have an anxiety attack leading up to it and then have an anxiety attack when I go home. Um, or if a kid tells me something traumatic and tumultuous in their life, it that follows me home. Um, and a lot of it is I, I have to sit with myself and process what, 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 what am I here for? And a lot of the times, a lot of what I'm here for is just to listen and not to fix the problem, if that makes sense. Um, I think that a lot of teachers, where they get burnt out really easily is they try to fix everything um, and try to be perfect all the time, um, have perfect lessons all the time, have perfect classroom management, have perfect relationships with the, with the students and their parents. And if a student comes to them with a problem, they want to fix the problem immediately. And that's not saying that I don't offer up advice and solutions, but I, a kid, a kid told me, for example, that he was getting harassed by the, by one of the sports teams. Um, and I had to really work to not, get let it let that affect me because if i did i would try and i would go beat up all of the kids you know metaphorically but i would chew all of them out i would chew out all the sports kids and i can't do that to myself that's too much emotional work on me um mm -hmm. and so i dealt with the problem you know i brought it to the right people and i told him to stand up for himself and to let me know if it happens again and yada yada i did all the things that i was supposed to do um but you know i i can't help but going home and crying about that kind of a thing but i can't let it consume me and it's hard to explain how i don't because i just don't and that doesn't really help but i i don't know i i you created a mental boundary within yourself yeah you're creating healthy physical and mental boundaries yeah yeah and, and it's really really difficult it's not easy you know like i had to i had to chew out one of my blocks yesterday and i was very nervous and i was anticipating it the entire day and then after it was done i couldn't stop thinking about it and everything that i said and if i could have said something differently and the looks on their faces and all that stuff and it takes real mental prowess and real mental work to stop and to say I had to, I did what I had to do and now we have to move on <laughs> and I can't, um, toil over it. I, I just can't, I got more stuff to do, you know, and if I want to unpack it, I can unpack it with the right people. But, um, and it's not, when I say that it's not like I'm stuffing it down and I'm not acknowledging it and I'm not acknowledging all the stuff, um, because I acknowledge it. Um, but I feel like I do it in a lot of like healthy healthy ways in that sense of I talk to the right people and I do healthy coping mechanisms. And um, if I didn't, I think I would be in a very different mental uh, position, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we talked a lot. <laughs> so I have a couple more questions for you before we wrap up. Um, the um, first one is, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, so for all the new teachers who um, or people who are thinking of going into education, um, no matter their identity, whether they're queer or not, um, whether they be teaching in a rural community or not, what would be something that you wish you knew that you would like to pass on into new coming teachers or something? Um, yeah, yeah. Something that you wish you knew or some advice to help them during this insane time during the education system? That's a really good question. Um, I think something I had to learn the hard way is that I had to advocate for myself and I had to advocate for my kids. Um, and you can't be afraid to do that and you can't be afraid to step on somebody's toes in order to do that. Um, like for example, um, at least in North Carolina or perhaps maybe just my county, I, I'm not particularly sure, um, but they do uh, the first three years uh, as a new teacher, you get a mentor. You're assigned a mentor and you do uh, weekly or sometimes monthly check-ins with your mentor. And uh, you can talk through things, you can plan lessons and whatnot. Um, and I had a mentor 
that I did not particularly vibe with, that I had to advocate for myself a lot, um, or like advocate for my decisions a lot. And I was very afraid to do that at the beginning. Um, so I think my biggest piece of advice is, is you walk into teaching thinking you're going to advocate for your students a lot, which you do, but you also have to advocate for yourself and have reasoning behind why you're advocating for yourself. If, if you have made a decision in the classroom, you have to be able to back it up with whatever evidence you would like to use. Um, usually it's a standard. Usually it's a, because this kid XYZ, um, but advocating for yourself and your decisions and what you need and backing that up with a reason why, even though sometimes it feels like you shouldn't have to, is really important, I would say. Wow. You're so wise. <laughs> You're so smart. Oh, shut up. Shut King. Up. <laughs> so my last question I have for you is something we end um, all our podcast episodes with is by asking our guests, what do you believe in? Um, it can be religiously, metaphorically, um, you know, literally, however you want to take it. But what do you believe in at the end of the day? Well, like a cryptid? <laughs> If, is that what you believe in? <laughs> we have some. <laughs> That's it. The end, and it ends there. <laughs> okay. Roll the outro. <laughs> this podcast was sponsored by Mothman. <laughs> um, I mean, we do say you can take it however you would like. And I am getting a degree in like folk legend. I'm literally getting a master's degree in folklore studying weird North Carolina legends. So if that's what you believe in, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's such a cop out to be like cryptids um, and like ghosts and things. Um, I mean, you would have to say why cryptids. I wouldn't oh. let you get out that easy. You'd have to. You'd have to give us some reasoning behind Queen. it. Queen. Um, okay. Well, then let me think about a real answer. Um, I, can I? Can I have like an example? Has somebody asked for an example before? Like, have you? Have y'all provided your beliefs before? Kind of. In the first episode, if you listened, <laughs> how dare you? I have listened. God, I can't believe you just disrespected me like that. I get disrespected for eight hours, and you want to come with me like that? I can't believe you. I was just hate crimed by my own people. For some context as to why we asked this question, in case it helps, and for listeners as well, at Good Folk, a lot of this, so Good Folk was created by me, obviously, and it was born out of a belief that I had starting in college, which felt really revolutionary at the time, which is just the idea that I really believe people are good, um, and especially people in rural Southern communities. And I knew my family members were good, even if our, our beliefs might differ on things. I, I know they're good people, and I know that that narrative extends across this region and across this country, but that's not the story we get to see in media. Um, that is where kind of the name good folk came from is from this line that I do believe that people are good. And I think that is a sadly revolutionary belief right now um, in this country, in this culture, in this political climate. And I think we have to look for that in other people. And it's not the easy thing to do. The easy thing to do is to just believe that we are all going to constantly disagree and that we can never find a middle ground and that we might as well live totally disconnected separate lives. But I think that's our great work as a society to really begin to try to find some sort of common ground and to try to find some kind of good thing within each other. And I think if we really are willing to look for it and, and to put that difficult, not innate work of empathy in, we'll find something hopefully beautiful on the other side. So we do ask this question because that is my belief um, and we like to know what other people believe, but it doesn't have to be anything specific or anything along those lines. But it is interesting how many of our podcast guests do tend to hold a similar belief um, even without the prompting. All I can think about is the Luke Bryan song. I believe most people are good. <laughs> most mamas ought to qualify to change food. Um, but if I, I don't, I don't know. I feel I don't know. I feel like the the first thing that comes to mind, which I feel like it wouldn't be my real answer if I got to sit with it and think about it, 
Um, and if I was invited to come back and talk, maybe I'll have an actual answer. Anytime. You're welcome back anytime. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like my answer would be that the kids are all right, which is really lame uh, because it's a cop out because it wasn't it didn't come from my brain. Um, but for for all of the madness and microaggressions and disrespect and just utter madness that I deal with, um, some of the things surprisingly that these children say is vastly profound and they have very large hearts and i am scared but very optimistic of the next generation of kids so like my seniors that are graduating this year (laughs) if they heard me say this they either would never let me live it down but they are very good people and they uh, they the kids are all right they are going to be all right and those of us that teach and those of us that participate in in youth know that they're going to be fine even though sometimes it feels like they're not going to (laughs) be and that we are not going to be in proxy um so i would say that that i i believe that the kids are all right i love that that it reminded me like in the middle of as you were talking reminded me one of um last time i went up to visit you I distinctly remember you saying, I believe in my students. Like halfway through, I had, I was like, oh, he said this before. <laughs> He's already answered the question. <laughs> but I remember you saying, like, I believe in my students. I think that was great. That was a perfect answer. Cryptids Thanks. and everything. Um, thank you. You're welcome. But thank you for um, joining us today. I'm so excited that you were here. Um, and thank you for everyone who is listening. And we will see you in two Wednesdays with another wonderful podcast with another wonderful guest. But uh, again, Axel, thank you. I love you. Um, I'll probably see you sometime this weekend for a FaceTime call. (laughs) But until then, (laughs) have a great night, a great morning, a great wherever you are. And uh, stay good. Stay safe. Bye, guys.